Hello and welcome to the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology podcast. I'm Laura Feetham and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Professor Philippa Easterbrook, who's Senior Scientist in the Global Hepatitis Programme and HIV Department at the World Health Organization in Geneva. Along with a group of co-authors from around the world, Philippa has written a series of two review articles published in the Lancet Gastroenterology and Hepatology, which look at the serious global issue of hepatitis infection in children and adolescents. One of the reviews focuses on hepatitis B virus infections, while the other focuses on hepatitis C virus, each of which poses a unique set of public health challenges. Philippa, thanks very much for joining me. First of all, why is there a need for attention to this issue right now? Yes, thank you. And I think it is helpful to start with uh, flagging why the need for this attention to this issue and why we developed these two comprehensive review articles on hepatitis B and C in children and adolescents. And to put this in the context of the overall global elimination plans for viral hepatitis, in, in 2016, the WHO launched the first global health sector strategy on viral hepatitis with the overall goal of elimination of hepatitis B and C as a public health threat by 2030. And by that, we mean a reduction in the incidence of new chronic infections by 90% as assessed by reduced prevalence in children aged uh, uh, five years and a reduction in liver-related deaths by 65%. So this first elimination goal, that of reducing new infections, really extraordinary progress is being made towards elimination of hepatitis B through universal hepatitis B vaccination in children and also birth dose vaccination, much lesser extent in adults. And this has been very effective in reducing new infections in children and so in turn adults and is one of the great global public health success stories. So the focus here has been in children. For the second elimination goal, that of reducing deaths and morbidity due to chronic liver disease from hepatitis B and C, the focus of the global response in scaling up testing, case finding, and treatment has to date been almost entirely in adults, who of course bear the greatest burden of chronic liver disease. And this has been particularly the case for hepatitis C with now access to low-cost, short-course, curative, direct-acting antiviral treatment, DAAs. So for reducing the deaths and complications from hepatitis C, the focus is on adults, and overall there's been very little attention paid to similar response and testing and treatment strategies in children and adolescents. So very few countries have included any recommendations for testing and treatment in children and adolescents, and as a result, only a tiny proportion of children or adolescents with hepatitis C infection, but also hepatitis B have been tested and treated, especially in low and middle income countries. And is this a problem? Well, for both hepatitis C and B, this is in part because there are major gaps in data and evidence to inform specific management practices and policies in children, especially from low income settings. And so there's been a lack of advocacy to drive action. So in contrast to the very uh, several large landmark and long-term cohort studies in adults, there have been very few similar studies on the natural history of chronic hepatitis infection in children, around about uh, a seven for hepatitis B, but they were mainly from high-income countries and only three in hepatitis C. And even more importantly, compared to the more than eight different hepatitis C DAA regimens available for treatment in adults, only just now do we have three possible 
DA regiments for use in those less than 18 years. And only one of these is pangenotypic. And for hepatitis B, again, few studies have been done in children and adolescents. And of course, the majority of children with hepatitis B do not require treatment because they're in the immunotolerant phase. So is this a problem? Well, yes, because a hepatitis response with a goal of elimination needs to include the children and adolescents. And we really must learn from the HIV response where for more than two decades, children lag significantly behind in the response. And they're much less likely to be tested, to access treatment. Their adherence to treatment was before. Treatment failure rates were high and development of resistance were high. So we're in a much better place with short course curative treatment for hepatitis C and the use in children, but we need to give the area attention. And there are other reasons why this needs more attention. This is a unique opportunity to cure a chronic infection in children before it becomes a problem. So to treat before there's any significant disease, at the same time as reducing horizontal transmission within families uh, and schools and giving the child the opportunity to grow up free of potential stigma and psychological consequences. So the purpose of the series and the reviews was to provide a much greater understanding and awareness of the problem of hepatitis B and C in children, in adolescents and children, by giving an overview of the epidemiology, the natural history, the treatment and prevention of chronic hepatitis B and C. And we also made a point of highlighting the key differences and similarities when compared to infection acquired in adulthood to address some of the areas of confusion. So could you outline the scale of the problem globally and what kind of efforts have been made so far to reduce the burden of hepatitis in children and adolescents? Focusing first on the burden, um, WHO estimates for hepatitis B that around 257 million persons were estimated to be hepatitis B surface antigen positive in 2015. That's about 3.5% of the general population. When we focus on those less than five years, it's estimated that the hepatitis B substantial prevalence is about 1.3%. And a linked report estimated that this corresponds to about 1.8 million new infections in children globally. And importantly, these estimates all compare with a prevalence of about 4.7% in those under five years before the widespread adoption of universal infant hepatitis B vaccination, which was around the 1980s and early 2000s. So there has been a marked reduction in the prevalence as a result of vaccination. It's important to appreciate that this current prevalence among children age five years and younger largely reflects how good the implementation of infant and, and birth dose vaccination is. So it's no great surprise that the highest prevalence in the under five is in the African region, which also has the lowest birth dose coverage of about 10%. So turning then to hepatitis C, WHO estimates that in 2015, there were about 71 million people living with chronic hepatitis C infection. But in children, the seroprevalence and burden is really not well established. There's a recent updated but as yet unpublished systematic review of the prevalence of hepatitis C viremia in children from 1 to 19 years. 
based on studies from 102 countries. And they estimate an overall burden of 3.5 million or 0.15%. Importantly, there were around 19 countries that accounted for 80% of these worldwide infections. But there was a lot of missing scanty uh, or outdated data. Another very important emerging feature is that data from the United States indicates a rising prevalence of hepatitis E in adolescents linked to the opioid epidemic, as well as to increasing rates of infection in women of reproductive age. But turning now to efforts to control so far, well, as I mentioned earlier, the most important strategy for control of the hepatitis B epidemic and prevention of hepatitis B infection in children is administration of the hepatitis B vaccine within 24 hours of birth, followed by completion of the vaccine series with at least two more doses within six to 12 months. And this regimen is 90 to 95% effective in preventing infection. The global coverage for the three-dose series of hepatitis B in infancy in 2016 was estimated at around 84%, and this compares with 1% in 1990. But for the birth dose, it's only 39%, and even only 10% in sub-Saharan Africa. But overall, this approach has really reduced the prevalence by up to 95% among children, for example, in mainline China and Egypt, and is um, a huge success. But despite using vaccination and also a dose of hepatitis B and immunoglobulin in some settings, transmission may still occur in around 2 to 10% of highly viremic mothers. And there have been several trials that have shown use of tenofovir during the third trimester of uh, pregnancy um, in combination with vaccination and immunoglobulin was effective in further reducing vertical transmission of hepatitis B. And so this is under further evaluation as to whether it will become part of global recommendations. For hepatitis C, there is no vaccine available to prevent new infections or reinfection. And so strategies to prevent hepatitis C among adults as well as children and adolescents are really just focused on 100% safe blood transfusions and avoiding unnecessary or unsafe health practices or injections. And of course, the DAA drugs cannot yet be used in pregnant women. So it's not yet possible to prevent mother-to-child transmission of hepatitis C other than to identify infected women and treat them before they become pregnant. So the main focus of the hepatitis C global response has been scale up of the testing and treatment. And the focus has been in adults who, of course, bear the greatest burden of chronic liver disease. To date, very few children and adolescents have been treated. This is just starting. Um, and of course, only three drug regimens so far have been approved and registered with regulatory or, or, or authorities. Infections with hepatitis B and hepatitis C acquired during childhood are different to infections acquired at older ages. How do these differences affect the management and treatment of infections in children and adolescents? Yes, this is complicated, but there are several important points here, and I will highlight some of the differences and implications of routes of transmission for hepatitis B and C. For hepatitis B, uh, first, 
the age you become infected is the most important determinant of whether you will develop chronic infection. And it's the chronic infection that is important as it's the chronic infection that leads to progressive liver disease and the development of complications such as cirrhosis and liver cancer, mainly in adulthood. So worldwide, the majority of infections in adults were acquired through mother-to-child transmission at birth or early childhood, especially in the high prevalence settings such as sub-Saharan Africa and East Asia. And in children, of course, mother-to-child transmission accounts for the majority of transmissions there. When hepatitis B is acquired this way, perinatally or in early childhood, it's very likely to lead to chronic infection. It occurs in 90% of those infected neonates or infants. In contrast, most infections acquired in adulthood through either unsafe injections or sexual transmission uh, among men who have sex with men or um, those with multiple sexual partners, they're acute, they're usually self-limiting infections and do not result in chronic hepatitis B infection. But that occurs in only less than 5%. So it's the hepatitis B infections acquired at birth or in early childhood that are critical to prevent and also to treat. So what are the implications on treatment? Well, the main difference in treatment between hepatitis B and C is that, well, everyone who's uh, chronically infected with hepatitis C needs treatment. Not everyone with hepatitis B needs treatment, perhaps less than 20%. And so the focus needs to be on identifying those with chronic liver disease. So there's some key points here. Few of those who acquire infection in adulthood need treatment as they're not likely to develop chronic disease. Regardless of age, treatment is recommended for all persons with cirrhosis across all the existing international professional society guidelines, as well as those with active hepatitis. So those who are E antigen positive or negative with raised liver enzymes, uh, raised hepatitis B DNA levels, and some evidence of fibrosis or inflammation. This takes time to develop, and with children, relatively few fulfill these criteria for treatment. And in most of the longitudinal studies, cirrhosis has been reported in just 1% to 5% of hepatitis E antigen-positive children. And the absolute risk of developing liver cancer in childhood is very low. So at present, for Hepatitis B antigen-positive children, young adults with a normal liver enzyme, there's a conservative approach to starting treatment. But this may change in the future for two reasons. First, it's recognized that the disease process is already underway in adolescence, and so these recommendations remain under review. And secondly, there is now a vibrant research pipeline of new hepatitis B curative combination treatment strategies with the potential to transform future indications for treatment. Turning to hepatitis C, the key message is that the longer the duration of infection, uh, the more likely you are to develop complications of chronic liver disease. In the low and middle income countries, vertical transmission is the main route of acquisition among children with a transmission rate of about 5 to 10% for hepatitis C viremic mothers, but is also associated with unsafe 
injection practices and procedures in healthcare facilities. In middle and high income countries, we also have injecting drug use and sexual transmission. And we're certainly seeing among adolescents in high income countries such as the United States, more reports of acquisition from drug use. What about treatment and the implications for treatment? Well, we now have a treat all approach for hepatitis C infection, regardless of stage of disease. In childhood, chronic hepatitis C infection is usually asymptomatic during childhood, tends to have a more indolent course than in adults. But there's evidence of disease progression being much higher in those with longer follow-up and duration of infection, and is certainly more likely 10 years after infection. In a recent analysis of the UK cohort, cirrhosis developed in one-third of those infected in childhood, and the median time to diagnosis was 33 years. And that was independent of the age or route of acquisition. We also know that in children, there are reports of impaired psychological and cognitive function, even in those who are asymptomatic. And this is compared with non-infected peers. So why treat children with hepatitis C infection if the majority have asymptomatic infection? Well, first, it's an important bird of infection in some settings. The potential to prevent or substantially reduce any development of chronic liver disease, to reduce horizontal transmission within families, and giving the children, again, the opportunity to grow up free of stigma. And reducing the economic burden of managing chronic liver disease much later in adults, the costs of treatment are going to be lower in children. But the main barrier until recently has been that none of the DAA regimens had been approved for persons less than 18 years. So in the last year, three DAA regimens have been approved, uh, have received regulatory approval. So sofosbuvir plus ribavirin, sofosbuvir, lidipasvir, and just recently, the glicaprovir and preventasvir um, were approved for treatment in adolescents. For younger children, it's anticipated that other studies will be completed for those 6 to 11 years, but also down to 3 years with some drugs during 2018 with, uh, and 19 with regulatory approval late 2019 and 20. At present, they, and because there's anticipated approval of these pangenotypic DEA regimens in the next 12 to 18 months, the current recommendation is to defer treatment in those less than 12 years until these new oral DA regimens become available for use across all age groups. And once these DAs are approved in children 3 to 12 years, then treatment with DAs can then be considered for all children to eradicate the infection as soon as possible, irrespective of the stage of disease or the rate of progression. Clearly, on a global scale, not enough is currently being done on this issue. So what, in your opinion, needs to happen to make a meaningful difference? Yes. If adolescents and children 
are to benefit from the momentum that is currently happening around global regional national strategies towards elimination of both hepatitis C and B, there's a need to address first the critical gaps in evidence in prevention, treatment and management, and also to address some of the policy and management gaps. Focusing first on the research gaps um, and the research agenda, I mentioned earlier that there's been insufficient pediatric studies in large cohorts and particularly from low and middle income countries. Uh, the majority of the studies that have been published were conducted mainly in a few high income countries. So there's five main areas of uh, research gaps. First of all, in burden and estimates of the burden. There's a need for age stratified serous surveys of the prevalence of hepatitis B surface antigen, as well as hepatitis C viremia in different populations of adolescents and children, both high risk and the general population. Second, the need to validate the use of these non-invasive tests for staging of liver disease in children and adolescents. Thirdly, on the treatment, uh, there's a need to establish a consensus on when to start treatment in hepatitis B infected children and adolescents, and the need to establish some longer term follow-up studies that evaluate the safety of long-term use of tenofovir and other regimens, as well as the DEAs in different pediatric populations. And different strategies may be needed for children with high levels of hepatitis B replication. Fourthly, on prevention, there's a need for further studies on the efficacy and safety of especially tenofovir in pregnancy, and of the effectiveness in the prevention of perinatal transmission using these drugs in addition to birth dose vaccination. And we need better strategies to promote implementation of birth dose vaccination with 24 hours and the need for a strong prevention research agenda in African women and children. We need also similar studies of the use of DEAs in hep C infected pregnant women as whether this is an additional strategy to reduce mother-to-child transmission. And on the policy issue, there are key policy gaps that need to be addressed if we're going to achieve the same level of treatment scale-up comparable to that in adults. This is the need for inclusion of children and adolescents in national hepatitis strategies and policies. And for example, in uh, guidelines, the need for inclusion of recommendations for systematic testing and treatment of adolescents and children. We also need faster evaluation of pangenotypic regimens in children and adolescents and the approval of pediatric formulations. At the moment, because of the relatively small number of adolescents and children diagnosed with chronic hepatitis C, particularly in high-income countries and available for recruitment in the clinical studies, this is one of the reasons for quite protracted timelines for these studies. So we need to have a more proactive case finding and enrollment of the eligible children from low-income countries also in the ongoing trials to accelerate completion. And in due course, uh, with the recommendations for use of pangenotypic regimens in children, we can start to harmonize 
the drug regimens between adults, adolescents, and children. And this will really help simplify procurement in low and middle income countries and reduce the fragmentation of what will always be a lower volume market just for children. And then I, I think finally, both the policy and the pediatric research agenda would benefit from the establishment of international collaborations, consortia, cohorts of hepatitis C infected children to inform best practices for management and care, and overall a need for better coordination across policymakers, researchers, um, uh, and relevant stakeholders, including industry, to coordinate a more effective 